This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey. This is the show about the most interesting people and stories of Mississippi. Hey, today our guest will be George Mulvaney. He's an ex-Klansman turned executive. We will talk to him about his new book, Cups Up, and how he managed to turn his life around and become the executive tasked with saving the Mississippi Gulf Coast. We'll also talk about the latest headlines in the weekly roundup. And to be part of the show, you can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or you can email me at the show at marshall at mpbonline.org. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio, and we'll be right back after the news. You're listening to Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Our guest today is none other than an ex-Klansman. He's now an executive, George Mulvaney. Uh, he's here to talk about his new book, Cups Up, which, by the way, the full title on it is fantastic. We'll, we'll share that with you in just a second. Uh, probably one of the best book titles I've come across in a long time. Anyway, how he managed to turn his life around to become the executive task was saving the Mississippi Gulf Coast during the BP oil spill. Uh, those of you may remember that fun time that we had. Anyway, we're going to speak with George in a minute. But first, of course, we got the weekly roundup. Happy Monday. Hope everybody's having a good day. Happy Monday. Yeah, there's some. Here in spirit. Well, that's good. That's good. <laughs> Trying to be here in body, but uh, <laughs> it's been a long weekend, long week for me, but uh, we're finally done with everything. Sowell Middle School, eighth grade well, activities. I'm glad you got through it. So. I am excited. I'm yeah. excited. They're graduating and going on to high school. Yeah. You got one going to college. I'm surprised that JPS is still like actually out of school considering they miss like nine months now i know y'all well, they're not out there actually okay. they get out wednesday wednesday is the last day graduations so for high school is let's put it this way there wednesday ain't a lot of education being done around the state this week we'll <laughs> no. just put it that way no no, no no there is school going on but not a lot going no. on but no. yeah we got my oldest one out of school he's, no they're he's, done he done he walked mm-hmm. he walked with distinctive honors or oh, something like good. that he did great i think he had 98 percent grade point average and that's a 3.95 so he did fine for he himself did. so he's got uh honors orientation coming up this week so he's ready to move on to college already proud of him and he had his eagle scout court of honor yesterday and he pinned his mama with a mentor badge and that was a great moment that was neat because she has been glue in his life and so i was just thrilled to see that so i was really proud not only the fact they got eagle scout because it just says a lot about who he is he's Mm -hmm. a good kid but the fact that you know he recognized the fact that you know what his mom had been there for him a lot. So a lot of times kids are a little bit tough about stuff it like is. that. They don't notice it. And it's funny. A lot of uh, parents right now, a lot of transitioning in people's lives, a lot of the kids, they're either, sometimes they're nervous. They're going to high school or going to college. And the parents are uh, nervous about letting go. Well, this I'll is tell a you what, transition I'll tell you what, time. This has been a tough tough weekend uh, a couple losses yes. course, over the weekend and, well, you know, and, and, and my and, heart goes out to tom and, yeah. and laura lynn fortner who I've, i know tom he works up at ummc he's of course in charge of communications mm-hmm. known a long time a lot of respect for him they had the most beautiful daughter franny of course francis uh died in jackson just uh, the graduation practice going from the school, Honor, yeah uh, going to graduation practice and was driving her mother's miata hit an open pothole which i mean not pothole manhole mm-hmm. which should have been taken care of i'm sorry i don't care it was negligence um flipped the car and killed her and so you know it was one of those moments where you first hear it and you think you know what we need to grab hold of every moment you know mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. and then you just start getting angry about it and you know of course we had less on last week and i think last week's show was so important incredibly powerful if you missed it go go to you know mpbonline.org and listen to it les ferguson you know here he lost his whole family uh to a murderer who was one of his you know people in his church who came and killed his wife and his son uh but you know he talked about how you know it was a shake the fist at the sky kind of moment you know it was like why would god let this happen but then he talked about the grace that came afterwards and, you know, you have seen it in the community how everybody has surrounded the Fortners with love. And, I mean, you can't 
I, I can't wrap my head around the loss of a child like right. that. I just can't do it. And also down in Forest County, we have Savannah Gibson also died the day after graduation yeah. in a car wreck, too. And, you know, I mean, anybody um, – I mean, here I was sitting there thinking, my son is like running back and forth to graduation practice, uh-huh. was, you know, did a night to remember with his school, was out all night, you know, when he came in at five o'clock in the morning. And this was all chaperone, mind you, but you still, you don't breathe while your kid's gone. Uh-huh. And then, of course, he's about to leave the nest and he's going to be on his own at that point and you hope he can survive. But um, it, it was tough and it was, um, I, I think, you know, and I wrote a piece about it, Lord knows. I mean, it, and it was a piece that ended up going viral, but it wasn't me sitting down, you know, trying to pontificate about this moment it was just me as a dad sitting there writing this going what the you know how do you justify it how do you try to wrap your arms around it and it couldn't so it was you know it was such a a powerful weekend for both sitting there and watching all my son's friends (laughs) cross the stage you know kids that literally i'm looking at the parents did we just come into kindergarten orientation Mm -hmm. you know and it's (laughs) like it happened like that that fast you know it took him 40 seconds 40 seconds to get across that stage. And I think it took 40 seconds for him to go through 12 years of school or 13 years. I know. That's that's what it felt like, didn't it? Yeah. And I know, you see, you're in eighth grade. I mean, trust me, the brakes are off and it's going to go by faster and faster. Everyone's telling me that that this next four years are going to fly by. And I just want to, like you said, cherish every moment because unfortunately, you never know when your last moment is going to be and you don't know. So just enjoy life. Enjoy being with your children. Enjoy them and enjoy who they are. But speaking of children... Yeah, we're not not trying to hit you with something super heavy on a Monday now because it is Monday. But since we're talking about uh, children in schools, the school shooting in the middle of our graduation on a Friday, we get the post that they had another school shooting. Yeah. And that was we, we couldn't even focus on that because we we're trying to focus on our kids graduating oh, at the same time. That was so unfortunate once again. Well, and it's you know, what's what scared me a little bit about it was that this kid was trying to ratchet it up, um, you know, because it's almost like they're trying to get attention when yes. they do that. Mm-hmm. This dude, you know, he had pipe bombs and he had kettle, you know, the little cooker bombs right. like they used up in Boston. So he was trying to raise it up a notch, too. So, I mean, <laughs> there are a lot of issues. I mean, we could do like six shows on that one issue alone, trying to figure out where we need to go with this. But why? Why are our kids doing this? And mm-hmm. I think we got to get to that point. And mm-hmm. we got to start asking tough questions of ourselves. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I sit there and think, well, I know my kids. Well, I do know my kids. You know, I spend a lot of time with them. But, you know, and I'm sure that guy's dad felt like he knew his kid, too. And, and he's like, he's probably sitting there right now going, what the heck? Exactly. What, the what, heck what did I do wrong? Right. Exactly. What did I do wrong? So it's, yeah, that was tough. That really was. Uh, the royal wedding over the weekend, I know you got up at 3 in the morning <laughs> yeah, to watch right. it. right. And I'll tell you what, I actually had passing interest in it, and I'll tell you why. Because in March, you know, my family went over to right. England, and we actually went to an Evensong service in that very chapel. So I got to sit right where, I guess, Serena Williams was sitting. Uh, she probably said, oh, look, Marshall Ramsey sat in exactly. that seat. Yeah, that's she probably her that. first thought. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, naturally, I didn't get up that early, but I watched the replay of it. And it was there were some really funny moments on it just because it was such a great mix of the two, you know, the American side and the English side. And it wasn't quite as stuffy as normally. A norm- I mean, when you, right. you get Stand My Me sung by the Kingdom Choir, that was pretty cool. <laughs> so there were some really interesting moments to the whole thing, too. And, and I'm thinking, well, I'm glad we fought a revolution so we don't generally have to watch these too often here in America. <laughs> but it was fun. And like I said, that church is incredible. When I sat there, and the choir was the same choir that sang during the wedding sang for our even song service so we're sitting there going yeah i, I recognize that kid and i reckon <laughs> and i tell you what um that was about as close to heaven as i've been wow uh, just hearing them sing in that building and you th- realize the history and everything else on that uh the queen's you know i'm not a fashion guy trust me look at me right now i look like a you know <laughs> model from Coles. you know i just kind of have that nice <laughs> you know worn worn look on me but um the queen and the and the bright green outfit it ain't easy being green, and it ain't easy being queen. And she pulled off both of them. But, I mean, she's, what, 900 years old? She is. And she's, and she's still going. I mean, I want to be her. I mean, granted, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I'll never be, like, a royal or anything, so I don't have that good of health care. But, man, she's, like, she's still clicking. Pretty she impressive. is. She is. So, well, well you know, it's going to be a good week. It's going to be is. a wet week. Be careful. There's something tropical developing out in the it Gulf. It is. It yeah, is. As usual. Even though it's not June yet, we're going to go ahead and get tropical weather. And I don't think it's supposed to develop, but it could dump a lot of rain on the Gulf Coast. Well, before we go, I do want to say congratulations. goes out to all of the uh, Jackson Public School um, high school graduates. They graduate this week. Yeah. Um, 
23rd and 24th. Mm-hmm. And congratulations to oh, all Oh, I want to congratulate all the graduates mm-hmm. all across the state all of Mississippi. The state. Because mm-hmm. you know what? Uh, you worked hard to get that point. Yes. I sat there and watched. You know, Of course, it was fun watching my son's friends graduate, too, and see where they're going to college. But there were mamas and daddies there that had T-shirts, that had traveled a long way to be able to see their, their kids graduate. And that was a cool moment. And mm-hmm. I, God knows we were proud, too. <laughs> so it was, we had a lot of family in for ours also. So that was good stuff. So. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. George Mulvaney is going to come in. His book is Cups Up. Uh, Incredible book. Let me actually give you the whole title here because he's got it, the book with me, but I've got it written down because I cannot remember anything anymore (laughs) as my old age has come upon me. I got right here. Cups Up, How I Organized a Clavern, Plotted a Coup, Survived Prison, Graduated College, Fought Polluters, and Started a Business. Right. You, who couldn't remember that? <laughs> no, no. Who could forget it? No, I mean, you can't no, forget it either, but that's, it. that's a great title. It's, it nice. t- it's a great title and a heck of a resume, to mm-hmm. say the least. Uh, not many people have that kind of resume, <laughs> to say the, well, the least. Yes. I tell you what, we're going to have George on just a second. This, And we're going to be back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. It's an expensive cycle. Insurance, gas, maintenance. Let us help break it by turning that car of yours into public radio. If your car is more work than it's useful, donate it to us. We'll pick it up, get top dollar for it, and use the funds to bring you more of your favorite shows. You might even qualify for a tax deduction. Donate your car, motorcycle, boat, or RV by going to mpbonline.org. You're listening to Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Uh, our guest today has an, had an interesting life. He's here to talk about his new book, Cups Up, and, of course, how he managed to turn his life around as well. Uh, George, welcome to the show. Thank you, Marshall. I appreciate you having me this morning. I, and I want to congratulate you on your uh, Barbara Bush cartoon you did. It went national or international in just an hour or two. It did within an hour. It was it was incredible. I had posted it on Instagram, and within an hour, Jenna Bush Hager put it on her her Instagram, and from that point, it was just off like a rocket. Yeah, and that's great. I think it did a a, a lot of good for a lot of people. So uh, congratulations. Thank you. I figure after six thousand cartoons, I finally got one that made a difference. <laughs> so that was kind of neat. And uh, what you know, and I I got even today. I got two letters from parents that had seen it who had lost children. And that, to be honest with you, uh, it took on a life its own, and it was a good life. Yeah, so definitely good. Well, it's good to see you. Congratulations on the book, by the way. Thank you, thank you. It's been a, a interesting start the last uh, month or so, uh, getting out there and promoting it, and uh, I've enjoyed it. You've been out on the road, and uh, you've been getting good good reviews and good press from it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know exactly what uh, to expect out of it. You know, there's some controversy in it, of course, and uh, but you know, uh, I'm good with that. I can. Uh, I own my past. Uh, Some of it's not something I'm really proud of, my clan days. Yeah. Uh, I don't brag about it, but I own it. Right. uh, You don't dodge it either. No, I don't dodge it. You know, I used that. It kind of made me what I am today. Yeah. Some of that. I learned from some some very foolish and uh, uh, mistakes I made. Yeah, and you paid for some of your mistakes, too. I mean, you, you went to jail. Oh, yeah. Now you went to jail. We'll, we'll talk about all that because I really want to get going from the beginning. Um, I will say that I think one of the articles that I read that was positive that kind of made me smile was a recent review by Anita Lee. because She's the one that kind of kicked over the anthill on you anyway. Oh, yeah. Anita, that was the day in 
June of uh, 2010. I'm walking into a meeting on the coast with, during the height of the BP response, uh, the oil deep water horizon, and I get a, I'm walking into a meeting with Governor Barber. I'm actually in the room with him, and I get this call, and I stepped aside and answer it, and it's, hello, this is Anita Lee with the Sun-Herald. We hear you have a colorful past, and we're going to do a story on you. It's uh, not what I wanted to hear that day. Yeah, I'd imagine your stomach dropped. You're like, okay. But, you know, to your credit, you said, yeah, this is what happened. Yeah, and, sat and- down with her and, uh, you know, had about an hour, hour and a half uh, interview and uh, was straight up honest and transparent with her. And she wrote a fair story. I, I couldn't call it a good story, but, you know, with my past, you know, it's hard to do a good story. Well, let's talk about your past. Um, you grew up here in Jackson. That's right. I'm yeah. I uh, went to Murrah. Just yeah. uh, you mentioned G- JPS earlier. I yeah. uh, went to Murrah, right around the corner from where we are now. Uh, but I dropped out. I was a, I'm a high school dropout. Yeah, dropped out. Um, you went to. Did you start the clan before you went to the Navy or after the Navy? After the Navy, I okay. dropped out of high school, got my GED, and went in the Navy in the uh, fall of '77. Uh, yeah, you 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 were based. On the USS Concord. Concord, right? that's yeah. correct. And you were on you were on that, and you decided to try to start a clavern on the Concord. That didn't go well, did it? <laughs> no. Now, Navy, um, Dave, Navy didn't smile at that. No, I'd actually home on leave in the summer of 78, and there was some Klan activity in Tupelo, Mississippi. And I connected with the, uh, the leader of the Mississippi Klan at that time and ended up joining in Tupelo. And I give a good description of that in the book. It was an interesting night. But uh, I went back and uh, organized a clavern on board the ship, uh, covertly, of course. And, you know, it was after a, it wasn't too much longer, several months. Uh, we were uh, we were found out. The Navy discovered what we were doing, and uh, uh, it went downhill from there. I was really surprised that they actually give you an honorable discharge on that. Yeah, actually, I ended up requesting a discharge, and it was a mutually – I had a very good service record yeah. other than that. So it was hard at that time for them to do a, a dishonorable. A dishonorable. Yeah. And so we came to some terms, and I was discharged on New Year's Eve of 1979. And and it would be, I guess, easy and convenient to say, well, I learned my lesson and everything turned around, but it didn't, did it? No, no. Yeah. Uh-uh. I guess I was 19 or so, 20 at the time, and uh, I came back to Jackson, you know, or the New Year's right there, and uh, the first six, seven months, five, six, seven months of uh, 1980, I was involved with the Klan in the Jackson, Mississippi area, and it went downhill pretty quickly with them. Uh it didn't take me too long to realize that I had made a big mistake joining the Klan. It was a bad organization. So I can't remember exactly how it went down. I quit and got kicked out at the same time. And uh, uh, that would have been early, midsummer of of 80. What did you have to do to get kicked out? I'm just out of curiosity. <laughs> it was just conflict. I. I really, there was some, some very, I had discovered by there, some very ignorant uh, people, and I'm trying to be uh, be nice even right now about yeah. it, that in there, and uh, just a, a lot of conflict, and um, realized it was a bad mistake, and decided it was it was time to move on. Time to move on, and so, um, <laughs> and then you decided to get into foreign policy. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, it was through some of my uh, clan contacts that that I had met some folks that were had this uh that were plotting this uh this conspiracy to invade the Caribbean island of Dominica and I was asked to take part in it and uh uh after a meeting at the Howard Johnson Motor Inn down at uh, McDowell Road in the interstate. Right See, I always, there. I always wondered what went on into Howard Johnson. Yeah, you know, well, that's where it goes. You have uh, next thing I, you know, you're trying to invade a Caribbean island. That's it. That's where it all started. Wow. Wow. So at this point, y'all are all sitting around going, uh, why would you? I mean, there was Prime Minister Eugenia Charles was at Dominica, and that was, it was 1981. Um, what was the purpose of that? Why Why did you want to, to suddenly create your own island nation? Well, the former Prime Minister, Patrick John, was in on the conspiracy also. Okay. And I was pretty low level in this. A lot of 
uh, other reasons came out uh, for the for, to set this to invade the country and set up a new government. That I, you know, I've heard all kinds of stories that uh, drug dealing haven for drug dealing and other things. And I don't know if that's all true or not, but that's part of it. But it, I'd looked at it at the time was she had close closer ties to uh, Fidel Castro, and I was looking at it primarily as a as a more of a pro-American, anti-communist move. Um, you got to remember, step back in time to the to the seventy-eight, seventy-nine, and uh, when at the height of the Cold War, right. you know, I'd been in the Navy and over on, on some of the cruises overseas where we were shadowed by Soviet ships and had the Soviet jets flying low mm-hmm. over the ship. So it was a, it was a much different time then. And Definitely. On that, you were promised like $3,000 or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. A big, big $3,000. Exactly. There you we go. could have changed your life. <laughs> yeah, well, it did change my life. But, I mean, the whole <laughs> point, they wanted to do offshore banking, gambling, and drugs and just kind of create a new paradise there, I guess. It was kind of interesting. Yeah, Some yeah. Of, the goals. I, of course, I didn't know all that part of it until afterwards. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, at the, that night I was uh, arrested in yeah, you were Louisiana. Down, yeah, you, y'all were getting ready to head out. You had guns and dynamite and... Oh, yeah, we had a, we were, we'd been placed in a van, and uh, we were at some marina right outside of Slidell, Louisiana, and it come, we were pulling up and preparing, we are going to get on a boat and actually leave to go down there, and uh, the van shuts off, and then I hear this uh, moment or two later, over a loudspeaker, you in the van, this is the FBI, you are under arrest, and... Uh, the rest is history. That that was not a good moment. No, no, no. I didn't, I didn't think so at the time. But in hindsight, it was a very good moment. It was a very good moment. Yeah, because you know you think about those wake up calls you need to set you back on the right path. Except um, it sent you in court and you got convicted. Yeah, I, I actually pled guilty. Yeah. I was I went through. I was in the Orleans Parish Prison, and for several months and uh, court proceedings, and I, and I was offered a pretty good deal where. Uh, I pled guilty, and I was sentenced under the provisions of the Federal Youth Corrections Act, where I would serve four years in prison and then could have two years of parole, and it would allow me to have my conviction set aside. And that was a felony, too, so that's huge. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was a, a pretty good offer that I got. So I pled guilty and uh, uh, got the got the uh, sentence under that for the four years, and then... In July of uh, 81, left Orleans Parish Prison, headed to Bastrop, Texas with the U.S. Marshals, and our first stop was Tallahassee, Florida. Oh, wow. So you bounced around several prisons, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. It was Tallahassee is where the actually the name of the book Cups Up comes from. Uh, yeah. You know, I got in late that night, I can remember, and uh, they put me in. Well, I was in transit, and so they put me in solitary. Uh, in the hole, as we called it, and the next morning, I'm, I'm, I wake up and I'm hearing this calling down the coming down the the cell block. Cups up, cups up. And a minute later, I'd hear it again. I didn't know. I had no idea what it meant. And so, but I was sitting up on the edge of my bunk, and I and it just things hit me. It was like a surreal moment. All the months before, all of the the trial, the, the 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 court proceedings, and getting arrested, and it just all of a sudden, it like it just came together. You, to be, how in the world did you get here? This is a bad place. You don't want, you know, this is not where you want to spend your life. I must have done some things pretty doggone bad to be here. And by that, I didn't just mean uh, conspiracy to invade a foreign country. There had to be other things in my life that had led me into that plot that were just not good. And so I made a, I started making a commitment that morning to turn it around. Well, I'm hearing this cups up, cups up. And then, you know, several minutes later, this uh, prison orderly appears. He's pushing a cart, and uh, he looks in at me, and he hollers. I'm looking at him. He says, you want any effing coffee or not? And so I held my... I, Oh, I figured it out. There's he's serving the coffee. So I they'd given me a plastic coffee cup the night before. I held it up and out through the bars. He splashed the coffee in it. I sat back down on my bunk and I looked down in it. The coffee was gray, like everything else, gray bars and 
and I could see my reflection. It wasn't a good reflection. And uh, I, it started me thinking and said, you know, I don't know where this is going to take me or how it's going to end, but I'm going to live my life differently. Uh, I'm going to come out of prison okay and a better person, and I'm going to I'm going to try and do some things much different in my life and decide. I just decided then to turn it around. You're sitting there in prison. Um, you've got a past with the Klan. Um, I would imagine that would not make you very popular with some of the members of prison and everything else. But you, you, you were suddenly you started relating to people not on the basis of color but on the basis of humanity, on who they were. And I think one great example that I read was uh, there was one prisoner who was illiterate, more or less, and you helped him write letters and translate letters back to his mother. Yeah, that was um, – I, I was in Tallahassee, which wasn't a bad joint. You know, it was uh, a, a lower security, lower medium security joint. And I was there about a week and a half, about a week, maybe a week and a half. And um, then I was transferred to the U.S. Penitentiary in Atlanta, Georgia, which is maximum security, and a really bad joint. Yeah. There was a lot of bad, bad people serving time in Atlanta. For murder and so forth, right? Yeah, yeah, and there was a lot of Cuban refugees from the Mariel boat lift that mm-hmm. were there, criminally insane. Uh, and I ended up spending a couple months in Atlanta. Uh, but after I'd been in the doghouse, the hole, we called it, it was D, uh, cell block D, they called it the doghouse. I'd been there about two weeks, and then I was transferred to AWB, which was a, uh, a cell that had uh, three double bunks in it it was six people and I, I get there and there's seven people and there's a mattress on the floor where one guy's got and then i they gave me a mattress so there's eight of us in that six-man cell wow all black all of them and uh from dc uh i think most of them had come out of the lorton reformatory mm-hmm. they were pretty hardened all of them were in for murder and uh you know my first night there one of them it was my first or second night there maybe my second night uh, it was after lights out. One of them comes over real quietly. He didn't want anybody to hear, and that's what he whispers, uh, can you write me a letter? So I sat up on the, I was sitting on those, leaning over against the bars, and uh, I said, sure. It kind of had my interest up. And uh, he had an old crumpled up pad and a pencil. You couldn't have pens or could be used as weapons. Uh, but um, he was to his mother. He was totally illiterate. So I spent, now you know, 10 minutes or so, writing a letter for him. And then uh, it happened another night, and then another another convict came to me. And so I, what I did, I started to kind of see life through their eyes because uh, they were telling me some very intimate uh, details that they wanted their mothers to hear or their sisters. And so it gave me a total different perspective on things. And it didn't, I didn't change at that time, but it, I'd say this. It did, I look back at that as a defining moment where it kind of lit a spark I say it, uh, I've said over and over, change doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen. Yeah, let's touch on that because a lot of movies always show like, you know, some kind of epiphany, like lightning strikes, Paul on the road to Damascus. I mean, but it it's not, wasn't that easy, was it? It was more, like you said, gradual over time. And we'll talk about that in just a second. We're about to take a break. Okay. This We're talking with George Mulvaney. His book is Cups Up, How I Organized a Clavern, Plotted a Coup, Survived Prison, Graduated College, fought polluters and started a business i guess we're in the survived prison stage of the book at this point and we'll continue the conversation if you want to give us a call it's 877-672-7464 this is now you're talking on mpb think radio can be just what the doctor ordered. Join me, Meredith Michelle, with WJSU's Evening Jazz, 7 to 10 weeknights on MPB Music Radio. You're listening to Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. Uh, if you're just tuning in, we've been talking with ex-Klansman turned executive George Mulvaney, and on now author, I might add. Uh, before the break, we were talking a little bit about how being in federal prison helped turn your life around. 
Um, it was just kind of one of those moments going, I don't ever want to come back here. I would think that would be probably what would go through my mind. Yeah, you know, the U.S. Penitentiary in Atlanta is a very unpleasant place, to say the least. And, uh, you know, I call it, you know, and I think in the book it's called Letters for Leon, and that's where I kind of started uh, uh, looking through a different perspective. Uh, on Do you know what ever happened to him? No, 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 I'm sure it wasn't good. You yeah, know, there was. They were all in. The none of them in the cell. They were all in for murder. They yeah. not none of them could read or write. So it was like a life sentence for him, anyways, most likely. So. Oh yeah, yeah. Wow, that's tough. But you you were sitting there, and of course you got to discover a little bit of their humanity. Uh, you know, they probably it was uh, they were kind of rough and tough, and then you realize they had this like soft, sensitive side when they're talking to their mama. Yeah, I mean their letters were no different than my letters, right? And uh, but yeah, they and they did not want anybody to hear what they were saying to me, and because wow. uh, it would, they didn't want to show any weakness. It right. was just not the place to show weakness. I would prison. think so. Yeah. How were you received overall? I mean, well, in my cell, I ended up writing letters for several of them, and then a, a article came out in the Atlanta Constitution that talked about the plot and identified me as a Klansman, and. Uh, some of the guards had shared that article with some of the other convicts that were in cells adjacent to us. And we were all out intermingling during the day with yeah. other cells. And, uh, you know, it went pretty good until there was one or two that really took offense to it. And then I had an altercation in the, we were uh, in the auditorium watching the movie uh, Elephant Man and had an altercation there and, the goon squad, which was the prison riot team, rolled in on us and broke it all up and threw me back in the in the doghouse. Back there, I went back to solitary, and I was there for, I don't know, another month or so, five weeks maybe. You had a lot of time uh, to think about what you'd done, huh? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. you, you didn't have, like, it's not like you had a library or, a, you know. Yeah, you're yeah. laying in a cell 24-7. Yeah. You get to get out, you know, I think uh a few times a week for about an hour a day and you get to go take a shower. But other than that, you're laying in the, in your bunk looking at the ceiling. So yeah. I had a lot of time. I did a lot of soul searching and, and thinking about what led me here and, and what led me there was not the plot to overthrow Dominica, but it was the lot, my life prior to that, that led me into that plot is where I really, I dissected my life and, uh, some of it was, uh, uh, painful to think, you know, that it's some of the things that I had, the path I had gone down, and I had a lot of time, and I said, you know, I remembered back to that morning in Tallahassee when it kept cups up, cups up, and I, yeah. I've reinforced my, uh, I promised myself, what, you know, wherever this leads me, I'm going to come out of this and come out of it okay, and I'm going to, I'm going to turn things around, and I, I know when I left Atlanta, uh, I, I, I say this, and I knew it then, I left Atlanta penitentiary a, a stronger person and a better person than when i had arrived what led you down that path initially and then at that point after staring at the ceiling for that all that time what did you change to make sure that you never went down that path again well i didn't really the changes i think happened over years and decades it's you know I, it's change is not like flipping a light switch to me yeah. But what I I did what I did do was uh, when I when I left Atlanta, there's you know I ended up in several other prisons and on my way to uh, and ended up eventually in Inglewood, Colorado, and that was a good experience. I was in prison in Inglewood for, uh, for another I don't know I was paroled after ended up getting paroled after a year and a half, but uh, you know I, I was there was a black inmates that were from the West Coast a few from the East Coast, a lot of American Indians, mm -hmm. and uh, so in Hispanics there. And so I was, I was, I had a lot of good conversations, I'd say positive conversations with uh, some of these, with the, the Indians, the, the African Americans from the West Coast. And, you know, I started taking on a little different perspective. Very little change happened there. Mm -hmm. Still very racist, but I, I opened up where I could talk with them. And I, in fact, I ended up serving on the the, the prison uh, administration. Had chose me to represent the the white convicts on the inmate advisory committee. There was one from each race chosen uh, that served on that, and that would help diffuse problems. And the people that were chosen were the ones that were respected by the other convicts and that could get along. They felt could get along with everybody. Well, here I am, the only 
ex-Klansman in the prison, and I'm chosen to, as one that could get along with everybody. So somewhat ironic. Somewhat ironic, but then maybe that's a sign that things are starting to change, at least going into your heart and between your ears. Yeah, I mean, at that time, you don't feel any change. You right. don't. I don't think you know when things change. At least I didn't. It took a long time. In fact, I didn't ever really recognize all the change until I sat down to write the book. And when yeah. I started going back in, uh, you know, in 2014 and 15 and 16, and I'm writing this book is when it hit me just how much I had changed. It happened a long, gradual process that you just don't realize. Right. Definitely. It, it almost but the pressure you're under in, in jail. It's almost like a piece of coal turning into a diamond. It takes a lot of time, but there's a lot of heat and pressure going on there, too. Yeah, and that that was the start of it, right. and it it took it took decades. But when you got out, obviously, you're saying, okay, I don't want to go back down this path again. Um, I'm going to do something that I love to do. When you were a kid, you grew up. You had, didn't you have a was it your grandfather had land on the Pearl River? Yeah, yeah, yeah down there, Hopewell, yeah. south of Jackson. And you'd and, seen a fish kill. Oh, well, a major point. fish kill. I was down there with my father, and uh, uh, I don't know. I was you know, ten, eleven, twelve. Had a major fish kill. This place I'd hung out and swam in the river and fished in it, and uh, and then we're I'm down there and we're seeing just thousands and thousands of dead fish floating down the river. And it had been it was a a sulfuric acid release that had happened up near Jackson, mm -hmm. a massive release from an in, uh, an industrial plant, and it just it 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 really I could not get my mind around what could be killing all the fish in a place I loved, and it. Uh, that was a, a real a real moment I've always remembered. And then at some point, you know, when I got into college later, trying to figure out what I'm going to do, I'm remembering back on that. My father talking to me, he was an engineer, and talking to me about the lack of environmental controls. And this would have been in the early 70s or 1970-ish. And uh, that's when I decided I'd move into some environmental studies. Hey, you started at Heinz, and then you went on to Southern Miss and got your got your degree. Yeah, I I. I Got out and uh, worked, started working in, uh, got, uh, for my old boss, Ricky Turner, in Jackson doing construction. I'd done odd jobs for him building houses, and I saved up enough money to enter Heinz. And uh, in the, uh, it was the fall of 83, or spring of 83, I, I started at Heinz and uh, uh, did a semester there and Liked it, made good grades, which I had never done. And, you know, I dropped out of high school and had poor grades, but I really committed to it. So I continued working. I did construction, worked at the old beer barn drive through on Lakeland Drive for Ricky. He owned it also. So I'd work there at night, working 50, 60, 70 hours a week and going to college. Saved up a good bit of money and two years at Heinz and a semester at Bellhaven. Bellhaven was just terribly expensive. I knew I wasn't going to be able to afford it. So uh, it was on to uh, University of Southern Mississippi at Hattiesburg, where I graduated. And you got, uh, at that point, you what did you do after you graduated? I got a job, uh, had an internship with the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency, and I was there about six months. A job opening came open at the Department of Environmental Quality. And in fact, back then, it was called the Department of Natural Resources. It was changing its name at that time to the to Department of Environmental Quality. But I got a job there, and was there. I moved around a little bit, and after a year, I got a job in the emergency services branch, uh, and where I worked chemical spills, oil spills, and then ironically, I began working closely with the ATF and the FBI on environmental crimes issues. Uh, I worked with the ATF when some old sensitive, uh, potentially explosive chemicals would be discovered. We would work with them to get them detonated or handled, and then I worked with the FBI on on several cases that turned out to be felonies. Do you have any agents saying, I know you from somewhere? So the ATF did. <laughs> did ATF they? knew me, yeah. Wow. None of the FBI agents did, but the ATF had remembered. Huh. Yeah. And they're like, well, you, you, you've changed. Yeah. They were having, at that time, they were coming to me at times looking for permission to detonate some yeah. old chemicals, and we had to grant permission for that. But it was a... Uh, some ironies there. Yeah, you. I mean, you started as a technician, of course, emergency services, and of course, I, you think about when you were a kid watching those fish go by, you kind of went full circle. Yeah, I ended up working a fish kill. At, 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 we put a boat in. I was at DEQ, and there was a fish kill, and we put a, a boat in the Pearl River. With I was with uh, a biologist from Wildlife Fisheries and Parks, or back then it was Game and Fish Commission, yeah. 
and we came up the river and actually came up to the, the point at Hopewell where we'd had a little old cabin on the on the river and I'm down below it in the in, looking and I'm remembering back to where I was, you know, in 1970. Yeah. And this would have been in about 1991 when I was there, uh, with DEQ and it was a uh, real, def- uh, you know, I knew I'd found uh, my you, calling. You found your calling definitely yeah. on that and night in April of 87, after six years, your felony conviction was erased. So it did end up, you you can vote life's back to normal. Yeah. I was set aside yeah. and, in 87 and uh was a a big moment for me yeah and that is what you know led for before i was was able to work for uh get a good uh, yeah. job with the state yeah with state and then how long did you work with state and then what'd you do next okay i was with deq roughly about 10 years and uh had two young kids and i had worked my way through college and taken out student loans and it took me 10 years to pay back the student loans. And, you know, I'm sitting there, and my kids are getting a little older, and I'm thinking, you know, I'd like to be able to make a – get where they don't have to take out the student loans that I did. There's nothing wrong with that. I right. think hard work is – Yeah, but obviously it didn't hurt it. you too yeah. bad. Yeah, no. And yeah. Uh, so – but I, I knew I had to leave the state. I worked there 10 years. I was making $28,000 a year when I left. Right. And so I went uh, to the private side, the environmental contractor. Mm-hmm. And uh, as uh, we were cleaning up chemical spills and oil spills and doing just that, but instead of being the regulator there doing it, uh, ordering it and directing it, I was the one actually with uh, a crew out there doing the cleanup. So that's how, you know, it's kind of good for you to tell a story and build up to it because that's when that fateful day when, of course, the Deepwater Horizon blew up um, that you ended up being in the Rolodex. Yeah, I was... I spent about 14 years, I think, with uh, in the environmental contracting field. Leading up, I became a division manager of our Jackson office, and I became a regional manager and then vice president of emergency response for the company. And we were a pretty good-sized company covering the offices across the Gulf South and eventually became chief operating officer. We had about 1,000 employees, and I was COO with the a lot of responsibilities to a lot of people. A lot of families were depending on me to uh, help keep help drive the business and keep them safe at work. Right. Uh, so that rolled around, and then it was uh, uh, April twenty fourth ish of uh, of two thousand and ten. You know, the I'm on listening to the radio. I'm at home, and there's a. There's a, a tornado has hit Yazoo City. It's a big story, and then there's a more minor story about a, a oil rig. That I remember that the governor was up sank. in Yazoo City, and all of a sudden, yeah, yeah it's exactly when that happened. Yeah, so I get called, and we're all of a sudden the rig is sunk, and there's oil leaking. No one. Yeah. So I get called, and we're heading to the coast the next day, and uh, ordering resources, boats, boom. Didn't know where it was going to lead. I get down there, and I, and it starts growing and growing when BP's figuring out. They got a major problem on their hands when they see the amount of oil that's actually coming up. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I'm over the operations for the Mississippi coast, was brought in by BP. And, you know, it was two, maybe three days later, uh, Governor Barber was having a meeting at the Air National Guard or the National Guard, I believe, at their headquarters in Gulfport. And I was summoned to it to give uh governor barber his staff and his agency heads a briefing on what's bp doing what what's what what are y'all doing to protect mississippi and i uh, was in that meeting we comfort, had a conference call with the coast guard uh captain of the port in new orleans which was the man, managing the overall mm-hmm. response for all the states and you know, i knew him he was an old friend and i'd worked with him when i was at deq and so we uh we hit it off, and I was able to answer Governor Barber's questions, and and we came out of that meeting and boarded a Black Hawk helicopter. We took a tour of the Gulf looking for oil, didn't see any, and uh, came back in. He brought me into a, a big press conference. National press was there, and it you know it, immediately I kind of became the go-to person outside of government for the uh, for the Mississippi response. 
You know, uh, I just remember that time we were watching. Of course, the Barrier Islands took the brunt of the hit for Mississippi. And, of course, I think the currents kind of worked in our favor, too, because we we didn't get hit by the bulk of the, the spill. But there was a lot of oil out there. When you're sitting there and it's your job to clean up something like that and you don't know what's going to hit, how do you plan for it? Well, we just we fell back to trying to protect the sensitive areas, booming yeah. off the estuaries, the, you know, Getting over there into the rivers that are coming into the into the Mississippi Sound, placing boom across them yeah. in its sensitive areas, and then trying to uh, protect some of the harbors and other other sensitive locations. We're uh, talking with George Mulvaney about his new memoir, Cups Up. And of course, if you'd like to be part of the show, you can call us at eight seven seven MPB ring. That's eight seven eight one eight hundred six seven two. 6474. Good grief. You can tell it's Monday. My brain is not working. Anyway, great show so far. You can email me at marshall at mpbonline.org. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. You're listening to Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey. Hey, today has been a great show. We're talking with ex-Klansman turned executive and now author George Mulvaney and how he turned his life around to become a wildly respected top executive in a company uh, with thousands of employees, but also was a big key part of cleaning up Mississippi's Gulf Coast after the Deepwater Horizon oil spill, which seems like it was just yesterday. Gosh, it's been quite a few years now. And, of course, we're still fighting about how to spend the money and everything else that, that we've recovered. But the the actual natural part of it, George, is actually doing pretty well, isn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah. I think, you know, the the – the oil, the the Maconda was capped. They got the leak stopped on July fifteenth yeah. of twenty ten, and by the first of August, there was no more surface oil coming into Mississippi that we were anyone was able to determine. Uh, it was a long term cleanup on the Barrier Islands. Probably went into it was well into two thousand and twelve before they were pretty well cleaned up of oil. And but the Mississippi, the mainland was. Uh, we were picking it up, cleaning up as soon as it was rolling in. Yeah. So uh, I remember being down there. I remember when uh, President Obama and, and, of course, Haley Barber, both Governor Barber, did the walk and got their snow cone. And, that's right. Because uh, I was down there right after that. And and I think the thing that got me about the spill was there, it was more of a disaster in the sense that the perception disaster was really almost as bad as a natural disaster, if not worse, along the Gulf Coast. Yeah, the perception was much worse. Yeah. Uh, the brunt of the, the oil hit Louisiana, South yeah. Louisiana, around to Grand Isle, Fouchon, yeah. uh, on down to Plaquemines is where the, the, the bulk of the oil hit. Uh, we, my company was in very involved with the cleanups down there, but yeah. I, was, I was in Mississippi. But our barrier islands, uh, you know, they did just that. They were a barrier. They took the bulk of the oil, and it took a while to get them cleaned. Well, let's talk about cups up. Uh, the book is, like I said, I mean, got the best title I think I've ever heard just because not only Cups Up is great and the story behind that, but everything underneath it, it's like, well, that's quite a list. Why would you decide to write it? Well, yeah, I, I go back to that, uh, the Sun-Herald, uh, when the article came out on me that, that in, uh, during the oil spill, June of 2010, they, you know, they, the Sun-Herald does the article and it's a front page story. At least it was below the fold. Uh, but it was a uh, uh, former Klansman, a reformed Klansman, plays leading role in Gulf cleanup. Right. It's the headlines with a picture of me talking to U.S. Congressman, former U.S. Congressman Gene Taylor. Uh, so I was expecting a lot of a backlash. There was I was going I was in a very public position. I was in public meetings with with the governor, with the lieutenant governor, the secretary of state. Uh, mayors, supervisors, uh, virtually just about all of our state legislators from the coast and up and down the coast in these meetings. And I said, well, it's going to, you're going to have a real backlash now, but it didn't come. 
not one negative comment. In fact, what I got back was, you know, it was like people were very curious or almost bewildered. Well, how did you go from that to, to this? Yeah. we They just couldn't get their arms around it. And I would say, well, you know, it was, you know, I, I don't have, it, it would take me a long time to tell the story. And, uh, but it was a, it was a long, it was decades of evolution to go from being a high school dropout to a Klansman, to a, a mercenary, a felon, a, you know, and so forth up to this. And then I heard over and over, well, you should write a book. You should write a book. And I heard that, and I, I could say close to two dozen times, I think, would say many times. Uh, but I actually toyed with the idea then because I heard it so much. Right. And But I put it away. I brushed it aside. I'm in the middle of this. May I was working anywhere from 14 to 18 hours a day, every seven days a week, dealing with this this BP monster and all the issues managing uh, mm-hmm. that. So it rolled around, and uh, uh, the spill ended. Uh, our company sold. I had a three-year non-compete, and I sat down and wrote the book. You had three years, so, hey, why not? Fill it. That's right. So now I'm... The book's out. I'm back in the oil spill and chemical spill business. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, uh, an owner with uh, E3, Enhanced Environmental Emergency Services. Our corporate office is in Clinton and uh, still doing the same old thing. Still back at it. And, of course, you're out there signing the book. Tomorrow you will be in Oxford at Square Oxford, Books. Oxford Square Books at 5 o'clock. Excellent. And so yeah. any others coming up after that? Uh, that's all I got right okay. now. That's good. On, on that's good. Books. Have you got any social media where folks can find it? And... Uh, the, the website is uh, cupsup.net. That's easy enough to remember, cupsup.net. And, of course, the response has been good um, so far. Yeah, 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 good response. And so any advice to anybody that's got something in their life that maybe they're not terribly proud of but they've got to deal with? <laughs> well, that's what I say. One of the reasons I wrote the book is give some folks some inspiration. You can change. You can get through some terribly tough hard times uh it takes a lot of determination commitment and uh making some sometimes some self-evaluation that can be pretty painful george thank you for being on with us today and look forward to reading the book again be good all right all right thank you we want to thank our guest course executive and author george mulvaney for joining us today now you're talking is production of mississippi public broadcasting think radio this show is produced by the incredible michelle mcadoo please stay tuned for southern remedy and join us next week for more now you're talking with marshall ramsey only on mpb think radio